Hail Dictinus, grant us clear voices, strong sound, and good reads. The visions we offer our children shape the future. Welcome to Storytelling Prophecy, the 215th episode of Three Pagans and a Cat. Our opening today is courtesy of Carl Sagan. Our opening and closing music are credited as Frostwaltz Alternate by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com and are licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0. You may call me Ode. Merry meet. My name is Gwyn, Ode's mother. And I'm so glad we're back because you yes. felt like shit last week. Yeah, I was I was quite un- unwell. And then I gave it to Jackson. <laughs> yes, I'm the only one who managed to stay uh-huh. healthy because I basically stayed away from both of them. <laughs> yeah. Sorry you feel bad. I'll get you some crackers and soup. Don't talk to me. Don't touch me. Yeah. Don't breathe on me. Just don't. Okay, I came out and was like, hi, I have some kind of stomach bug. And she was like, I'm going to the store to get you Gatorade, saltines, and soup. Goodbye. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> she put those in the kitchen and was like, they're there. Goodbye. <laughs> hey, mama can't afford to be sick. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> I got enough issues of my own. I don't need a stomach bug on randoms, top of it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. No, luckily, though, it turned out to only be a 48-hour thing yeah, for yep. both you and Jackson. So. Yeah. So, But we staggered it. So, like, yeah. just as mine was ending, he got He his. got his. Oh, my God. Ridiculous. Yeah, so last week sucked, but we're back. Yeah. No, we're back. Here we are. Oh, my gosh. Any housekeeping? I don't think so. Other than we're going to... We're going to convocation, convocation. in February, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll have more news on that in February. Mm-hmm. But other than that... Nothing else really going on. Yeah, nothing nothing big. Nope. Other than... We oh, we have a new computer. We finally got the oh, new yeah. computer set up. That's right. We do have so a new computer. So hopefully our recording situation will be ever so slightly more stable and... Mm-hmm. Uh, and improved. That's right. Because I have had a couple of occasions in the last few episodes where I've had like a drop or a, like a stutter, like an audio stutter that I've had to edit around. So hopefully that kind of stuff will stop happening. Yep, yep. And well, and as we were explaining to uh, those who are in the mm-hmm. recording channel right now, that computer we were originally was using 12 years old. was 12 years old. Yeah, which I didn't, I didn't consciously realize until we replaced it, but... Mm-hmm. <laughs> And so we got something young and new and sleek. And tiny. It's <laughs> and so tiny. small. It's it such is a tiny. small little. It is small but mighty. Uh-huh. And we are have all the hope that it's going to last just uh-huh. as long and be just as durable yep. as the previous. Yep. Oh, and it's fucking absolutely silent. I can't hear it at all. I know. It's amazing. <laughs> I, don't, I do not hear the fans in the that thing. The other one was a little uh-huh. noisy. Yeah. So, so hopefully that will also help the, the audio a little bit. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, I, as you point that out, I'm like, my God, is it even working? <laughs> yeah, like I, like I can see the monitors are on, so I guess it's turned on, but oh, can't sure. hear a damn thing. I cannot hear it. As if that's bad. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God, I can't hear the computer. Is it all right? Pure silence. Oh, my God. <laughs> Just what a new computer will do for you. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Something modern and not an antique. <laughs> oh, yeah. I can't believe it took me that long. You you suffer from the same disease I suffer from, which is it's working well enough. Uh-huh. Like why I haven't updated my phone, even though I dropped it in water uh-huh. <laughs> like six months ago. And did it occur to me a new computer because it has less sound of uh-huh. the fans and stuff yeah. could assist our audio quality? Mm-mm. No. No. So I think that's it for housekeeping. We got a new computer. We're hopefully going to be happy with it. Yep. Exactly. But if the audio quality changes, that's probably why. <laughs> Let's all hope for the better. Mm-hmm. We're putting our intention toward mm-hmm. better mm-hmm. quality mm-hmm. sound. Okay. All right. So we're going to be talking about prophecies and prophets mm-hmm. in 
today's storytelling episode. Mm-hmm. So I have two. Gwen, how many do you have? I have two. Perfect. I have no idea what two years are, so hopefully they're yeah, not I don't the know. same ones. I don't know either. <laughs> <laughs> that but could be bad. That could be interesting. If we go short, it's because we accidentally overlapped. Uh-huh. <laughs> but Gwen, you go ahead and tell the story of your first prophecy. All right. Well, I'm going to go old school Hebrew mm-hmm. because there's lots of prophets in uh, the Old Testament mm-hmm. and in the Hebrew scriptures. But the one that is probably the most thought of, I think, in immediately, or at mm-hmm. least when I was a child, was Daniel from Daniel and the Lion's Den. Oh, that one. That one. Yeah. Daniel was a young man who, along with many other young men and people from the tribes of Judah. Mm-hmm. I was going to say Judea, I yeah, guess. Yeah, from Judea, were actually taken as prisoners during the third reign of King Jehoiakim, of, you know, the king of Judah, when Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon overran Judah and captured the city and captured the country and took a whole bunch of its princes and noble families mm-hmm. prisoner and brought as them... As hostages, like As Judah. hostages, brought them to Babylon. Okay. Well, Nebuchadnezzar then said, hey, yo, I want some people. I want the prettiest. And he did say, I want <laughs> handsome, strong young men right. to be taken from the houses of Judea, from the from some of the, the royal families that we brought Basi- with us. Basically, don't send me like your useless sons and daughters. Send me your valuable ones. That's right. He said, I want some of these to be brought into training mm-hmm. and I want you to teach them all of our ways. I want you to feed them the best food and wine so that they stay healthy and pretty and so that they have all the knowledge that they need so that they can then serve the court. Mm-hmm. Well, Daniel and his friends, um, their Is names this right. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Mm-hmm. But their, their Jewish names were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Ah. And their Babylonian names were Belteshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Gotcha. Well, Daniel was a very devoted son of Judah Mm -hmm. and worshiper of of God, of his deity. Mm -hmm. And so he did not want to eat any of the food that was provided by the king because my understanding is it was sacrificed first maybe to their gods and then... uh, Or it just wasn't kosher. And some of it might, yeah, might not have been kosher. So he, he wanted to eat only vegetables and water. He didn't want wine. He didn't want meat. He just wanted vegetables and water. And of course... The poor man who was who was tasked said, right. Daniel, my boy, I can't do that. My, my boss will yell at me. No, my boss will have me fucking beheaded. Mm-hmm. If, yeah, well, if, that's, the, that's the ancient Babylonian version of my boss will my yell boss at me. My boss will yell at me. Yeah, he did. He was like, please, you have to eat the food. You have to drink the wine. You have to remain healthy like your compatriots. Otherwise, my life will be in danger. Mm-hmm. This particular man had a fondness. For Daniel mm-hmm. because he was a very bright, intelligent young man. And so Daniel pleaded with him and said, listen, 10 days, just 10 days, me and my buds here will eat nothing but vegetables and drink water. And if we are not as healthy then as we are today, while everyone else is eating the good food, then we'll do it. But until then, can you please just give us the vegetables and water? And- I will I will note that 10 days is not going to make a significant difference in your health. I know. <laughs> That's true. But that was the bargain uh-huh. they struck. 
That was the deal struck. And so the man said, all right, all right, you can do this 10 days. And 10 days later, they still, mm -hmm. not unsurprisingly, were perfectly healthy. They were perfectly <laughs> healthy. And uh, so he, in fact, though, according to tradition and according to the, the myth, mm -hmm. mythology of the story, they looked healthier and stronger and better after 10 days. And so the man said, okay, I will continue to bring you the vegetables and water. So over time throughout, it was a three-year training period and they learned literature and wisdom and all of the things they needed to know from the Babylonian traditions. And in the meantime, Daniel became very favored because he gained the special ability to interpret visions and dreams. So when the training period was done and the king had completed it and said, okay, they're done, bring them, you know, bring the staff in, let me see mm -hmm. these new boys. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were brought into royal service under the king. Now we all know about what happened to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were tossed in a fire and mm -hmm. they survived from the, you know, because an angel came and yeah, saved yeah, them. Blah, blah. Well, it was a similar situation with Daniel. There were some some Babylonian mystics and wise people and and prophets prophets who were jealous of Daniel because Daniel he was a fave and this was actually after Nebuchadnezzar this I believe was during the reign of Darius and he and Darius kind of became really good friends to the point that Darius was going to put him above all of the other mystics and priests and whatever right. of the kingdom. Which and obviously no one would be happy about. No, they were not happy. So what they did is they tricked Darius into having a th making a decree that for 30 days, no one could pray or offer sacrifices to anyone but him. Because, you know, they believed that their emperors and their kings were, were godlike. But Daniel did not follow this decree. And so, you know, he continued to pray to his God and every day in a window where he could be seen because he had to face Jerusalem, I guess. I don't know. But they knew that he would do this because this was his practice. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, they had him arrested, brought before Darius, and Darius could not go back on his word just because this was his best bud. So into the lion's den, mm -hmm. Daniel went. You know, Darius Usual was, martyrdom story. Exactly. Darius was clutching his pearls all night mm -hmm. to find out what happened to Daniel. And then, of course, Daniel was fine Miraculously in the morning. fine. Yeah. And so then the advisors who tricked Darius into making this decree I will got note, put into the lion's den in his place. I would note, that's not really a trick. No. It's like, just clever. <laughs> it's, yeah, that's not really like a, tr a trick. They didn't trick him into making this decree. They just suggested he make this decree, and he was like, yeah, that sounds legit. Yeah. Like, if he was such a good friend with Daniel, shouldn't he have known this would be a problem? You would think. <laughs> but they appealed to his vanity. Yeah. Is, is the like, idea, is that these advisors are like, oh, great King Darius. Uh-huh. You I will, deserve I, all just, the praise. I'm, you just, know. I'm just saying, A, that's a very normal thing to do for a king. Yeah. And B, <laughs> this is more Darius's fault than theirs. Oh, like I know. He's the one who made, like, if anyone's going to go into the lion's den, it should probably be Darius. Well, <laughs> and it honestly doesn't say a lot for Darius in that, you know, in that he was like, oh, yeah, this is a good yeah, idea. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. And didn't even stop to think. What would happen to what his. What would happen to his best buddy. To his supposedly best friend. Who does not worship the same uh -huh. gods that, that any of the rest of them do. Has yeah. a real strict and he did, code. Like, and, like, he didn't, like, build in a little provision nope. for that nope. or anything. Nope. Nope. 
just 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 set that decree exactly and then got pissed off at the people who suggested it like they couldn't force him to make a decree like that and that I, was wholly his own decision and the thing is, and then like, he doesn't take responsibility for it he's just like my evil advisors right and here's the thing this is not like it's a new thing that had happened to this this quad uh-huh. of people because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had a similar situation yeah. with Nebuchadnezzar, yeah. who was, uh, you know, because so they like, wouldn't go, worship him. Yeah, 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 right, whatever. So you know, go, whatever. go go read the, the histories, right? fucking Darius. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Moron. Yeah, so unfortunately for the wise men and, and uh, uh-huh, the prophets mystics and mystics of, of, of the of, day. Of uh, Babylon. They ended up becoming the feast for the lion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Seems quite unfair. Yeah, the advisors are always the scapegoats. Mm-hmm. It's true. This yeah. true. <laughs> the VeggieTales song, yes. <laughs> that was hilarious. Yep, absolutely. Okay, so that was my that was my first, first prophet. My first mythology of, of a prophet. Mm-hmm. Cool. Good. I didn't have uh, Daniel as one of mine. Well, it's kind of like, it, it's like, that's the first thing that came to my mind, because I thought, it's pretty standard stuff, mm-hmm. yeah. you know. Because of cultural Christianity. Cultural Christianity. Uh, I'm going to talk about one you probably have not heard about before. Mm-hmm. Melampus. I have not heard of this. Tell me more. So Tell me more. Tell me more. <laughs> Did so, she get him a car? Sorry. No. <laughs> she did not. Um, so Melampus was a Greek hero Mm -hmm. who we think used to have a much more extensive body of mythology about him, Mm -hmm. but who we now know much less about. Um, So he's mentioned in the Odyssey, but he's mentioned very briefly, and Homer just sort of like skims Mm. his story in a way that suggests his audience would have already been very familiar with Melampus. Mm, It's one of those which uh unfortunately means we don't get to hear that much. Exactly. So we get, we have just like the the bare bones of Melampus' story from uh, Homer in the Odyssey, and then some later Greek writers would expand on or adapt that story from the Odyssey specifically, but we don't know what preceded the Odyssey. Okay. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. Um, But we we do have reason to suspect, because of the way Homer talks Mm -hmm. about him, that he was very well known at the time. Isn't that sad? Because usually uh, the Greeks were very good at Mm -hmm. keeping their stories. Keeping the records. Keeping the records. It's sad that it was one of those, hey, here's a local legend Mm -hmm. that everybody knows about. Here's here's one of those oral traditions. somebody forgot to write down. Well, I mean, the Odyssey was Homer recording oral tradition. That's true. Um, So Melampus was probably one of those oral traditions that just didn't fit into the Odyssey in its full detail, and no one else wrote it down. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. But so Melampus was sometimes described as just a a very rich man and sometimes described as, like, a prince. But either way, he was given the ability to understand animals by one of two interactions with a set of snakes. Mm. So there are two ways the story is told. The first way is that his servants were going to kill a snake that had been found in his garden when he was a child. Mm -hmm. And he told them not to kill the snake. The snake wasn't doing anything wrong. It wasn't hurting anyone. And the snake was so grateful that it bestowed on him the ability to understand animals. Okay. The other story is that Melampus was walking in the city and found a mother snake that had been crushed by a cartwheel. Mm and two orphan baby snakes beside her. And he gathered up the baby snakes and took them to his home and gave them protection and care until they were old enough to care for themselves. Mm -hmm. And so in gratitude to him, they licked his ears 
and by licking his ears, they, like, cleaned them of whatever impurities prevent humans from understanding animals Mm -hmm. and gave him that power. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's where his prophecies are supposed to come from, is he listens to the animals and they tell him what's going to happen. Interesting. Yeah. So he's usually, he is very frequently described as a seer. Um, It's not clear if he had any other kinds of prophetic abilities or if all of his prophecies were supposed to come from listening to animals. Mm -hmm. Because like I said, he's described, like the term used to describe him is seer, the great seer, Mm -hmm. Melampus. But either way, that is the story of how he's supposed to have gotten his ability to speak to animals is is he was Mm -hmm. very close with some snakes. That's very cool. Mm -hmm. Like I said, he has that brief mention in the Odyssey. And in the Odyssey, Homer describes like sketches out in very very brief detail Melampus's story as being retold by one of his descendants. So the story is that Melampus spends a year in exile after a evil man called Nellius steals all of his property. There's and, always an evil man. Uh-huh. Nellius is sometimes described as a king and sometimes described as just like a rival of Melampus. And this seems to vary depending on whether Melampus himself is described as being just a rich man or as a prince. Mm-hmm. But he, either way, all of his, uh, his birth right is stolen essentially by Nellius mm-hmm. and he spends a year in exile during which he's attacked by a fury oh um, dear yeah, uh-huh. That's serious. Which is supposedly set on him by Nellius. But he survives the fury, overcomes the evil spell that the fury puts on him. He makes a, a deal with a king that he can marry that king's daughter if he raids cattle from a particular place and brings them back. Which is not Melampus's strong point, but he's got nothing else going for him. So figures, okay, I'll go try to rustle some cattle. So he heads off to this particular location and he tries to get the cows to come with him because he can speak the language of animals and understand animals. And the cows aren't paying super attention to him because they like the pasture that they're in. And the cow herds come across him and capture him. Oh dear. And hold him captive. They hold him in a cell. I don't know how the the cow herds have a cell uh, handy, but they do. Mm-hmm. So they hold him in this cell, and they actually have several cells handy because they're they're holding him in this one cell. I know maybe they were like bandit cow herds. Who knows? But they <laughs> just happened to uh-huh. ra- randomly happen to have a cell. Uh huh. Yeah. So. Maybe a couple. (laughs) So he's being held in the cell and he overhears a couple of termites talking to each other, mentioning that by by morning they'll have eaten all the way through this cell. I'm trying to imagine what a termite would sound like. Very shrill. Very shrill. Very, very high pitched. Uh So so they mentioned that by morning they'll have they'll have chewed all the way through the supports on this cell. Mm. And Melampus is like, that's gonna be a problem for me because it's gonna collapse. <laughs> that would be bad. Upon me. <laughs> so he like starts wheedling with the guards, like, hey, you wanna move me to a different cell, maybe? This one is bad. <laughs> and the and the guards are like, I don't care if the, the cell is bad. It's a cell. It's not supposed to be good. And Melampus like kicks up a huge fuss. And complains and argues and explains that, like, no, no, you don't understand. The cell is, like, fatally bad. If it kills me, then you won't be able to get any money from me or whatever it is that you think I'm going to be able to give you. And so the cowherds are like, mm. All right, fine. So they, like, we'll just move you to another cell. We'll just bring some extra guards in so you don't pull any nonsense. Mm-hmm. So they pull him out of the cell and they move him successfully to another cell. Lampus is like, all right, plan successfully accomplished. I'm in another cell. Mm-hmm. The next day, the cell he was in originally collapses. collapses. The The roof falls in. Mm-hmm. And the guards all cluster around to see this. And the first guard, who was an asshole to him, is actually injured in the collapsing cell. Because presumably he's in there being like, see, perfectly fine fucking cell. Absolutely nothing wrong. 
and then it collapses on him. So the other guards all rush around to see and are like, um, that man's a prophet. The gods tell him shit. We should not keep him in a cage. <laughs> they might get mad at us. Useful. Uh-huh. So they let him go. Thanks, termites. So they, they release him from the cell. He goes back to the pasture, talks to the cows again, convinces them that the cow herds don't have their best interests at heart, and takes the cattle back to the king mm-hmm. and wins the princess. For some reason, he does not keep the princess. He has his brother marry the princess, mm-hmm. and he moves on to be the king of Argos later for unknown reasons. Maybe he likes boys. Who knows? Who can say? Who um, but he elects not to marry the princess he did this whole business for. And maybe, he, maybe he got a prophecy or heard a thing. Maybe she's not so nice to marry. Maybe. Yeah, maybe she's mean to snakes. Could be. But he uh, he passes her along to his brother, and he uses the king's resources to get revenge on Nellius, who took his stuff, and he gets his position back. Smart. Mm-hmm. Smart moves. Um, and unfortunately... That's all we know about Melampus. It makes me wonder if, you know, because it's the snakes that give him the mm-hmm. the ability to hear animals, if maybe some of the missing piece is there was a deity connected to these serpents. To these snakes. To these snakes. Could be. Melampus is also sometimes said to have brought the worship of Dionysus to the Greeks. Mm. That, like, before Melampus, the Greeks didn't know of Dionysus, Mm -hmm. and Melampus sort of revealed Dionysus. Hmm. That's so interesting. Yeah, it would be really nice to know that backstory, to know if yeah. there was, if those snakes were sacred to a particular mm-hmm. deity. Did or he have any other kind of prophetic have, abilities, exactly, or, was or was it just listening the, to animals? Mm-hmm, exactly. That would be, but that's cool. Yeah. I have not heard of him before. I didn't I didn't think you would have, because like I said, we don't know that much anymore. Yeah, yeah. Very but good. He's, he's a very cool guy. His name means black-footed. And it's not, like I said, this is another of those things that we just don't know if that relates to anything. Mm -hmm. Like if that relates to where he was supposed to be from, if that relates to uh, any kind of injuries or disabilities he was supposed to have. We don't, we just don't know anything about that. Hmm. That's very interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. Join our Tiger Crystal at Apothecary Teas. This shop produces fragrant, aesthetically beautiful teas that delight all the senses, with handcrafted tea blends from white to red to green. This week, I suggest white ginger pear, made with a blend of Pai Mutan white tea, ginger, and pear pieces. Find them at apothecaryteastore.com or on Facebook at Apothecary Teas, LLC. All right, so my second one is also from the Greek mythologies, Mm -hmm. and it is... Cassandra. Ooh. Mm-hmm. She was actually the first one that I thought of, and I wanted to save her for the for the last mm-hmm. because Daniel, you know, and, and she's very well known, just like Daniel mm-hmm. is well known. But I, I just, you know, I really vibe with Cassandra. I've always felt very intrigued by her, saddened by her story because mm-hmm. she has a tragic story, mm-hmm. and I've been interested in her literally since middle school, the first time I ever read the Trojan War. So Cassandra was the daughter of Priam the last king of Troy, and his wife Hecuba. And um, there were actually many poets and writers who wrote about her, including Homer, Virgil, Euripides, as well as Aeschylus. Mm -hmm. Um, Probably the the myth most commonly known uh, really probably comes from Aeschylus, the story of Agamemnon. I I think that kind of fills in more of the details maybe than than some of the others, because there's a couple of different ways 
that uh, talk about how she became a prophetess mm-hmm. and a seer. But the most common understanding is that she was she was a princess of Troy, but it is believed she was very uh, pious and uh, very, very beautiful, very beautiful woman. And it's believed she was either an attendant or, or a priestess of either Apollo or Athena. And But what it says is that Apollo, upon seeing her, her beauty, because she's this gorgeous woman, he actually goes to her and offers her the gift of prophecy because you know he was a god of of prophecy and and divination he offers her the gift of prophecy if she will lay with him now my understanding is that the story is she promises to marry him yes actually some versions say lay with him some say marry him Mm -hmm. but yes essentially he wanted to marry her Mm -hmm. and um and she agreed so that she could have the gift of the gift of prophecy and then she took it back. Yeah, he bestowed the gift of prophecy before yes. he got that marriage consummated. Yep. Yes, yes, he did. Because Which he was loved perhaps a mistake. And you know, as I was reading this, I thought, you know, he really, of the gods, he did this right. Of, he, the, of the available ways yes. for a god to woo a mortal woman. Yep. Yeah. Now, Aeschylus is the one that said he wanted her to lay with him. Mm-hmm. Others are the ones who said he w- approached her to marry him. Mm-hmm. But either way, there was a consent involved. Right. He went to her, this beautiful woman. He sought her permission. He sought her permission. And like I said, it, he was she was either uh, working in his temple mm-hmm. or working in Athena's temple. But that's how he saw and knew her mm-hmm. and fell in love with her and wanted her. And he was essentially offering her a very fancy bride price. A very fancy bride price. And so, yes, uh, she, she accepted the gift before she was to either marry or lay mm-hmm. with him, whichever version you, you take. And I believe it's in Aeschylus's version where she's, she is speaking as herself and she says, and then I took that, that, promise, that back. promise back. Yeah. And so she is then cursed mm-hmm. by Apollo because he's so angry. Und- understandably. understandably. He's ba- it's basically been left at the altar and or bedside. Exactly. So, you know, he's like, listen, lady, I, I came to you. I wooed you. Right. I did. Did this I did the it correctly. Right <laughs> Was I like my siblings or right. my father? Did I trick you into this? No, no, no. I do not think so. And for that matter, it, like he didn't even go to her father to get this no. permission. He went directly, directly to, to Cassandra. Her. Yep. So he, you know, so he was understandably angry. Mm-hmm. So instead of just retrieving the gift, mm-hmm. what he said to her was, "Well, since you will not have me." Mm-hmm. You do have the gift of prophecy. But now what I am going to tell you is this. You may see all things. You will see accurately what is going to come to pass. But no one will ever believe you. Mm -hmm. And that was her curse. Elle says, Apollo is generally a pretty good dude, but oh, gods do not fuck with him. Exactly. Exactly. So he he gifted her out of of a genuine offer to be honorable, Mm -hmm. regardless of of whether it was marriage or to lay with him or whatever it was. He was doing the honorable thing. He gifted this to her Mm -hmm. and she totally took it and then backed out. And then dipped. And then dipped. And he can't take the gift back, so best he can do is make sure it's not useful. Yeah, it's not useful to her at all. I think it's also a, a it's it's a very appropriate curse because essentially what happens is her word is not valuable. No, she's considered her, her promises are worthless, faithless. Yeah, she's faithless, and so that's what Apollo curses her with yeah. is that no one will believe you because you aren't worthy of being believed. That's right. So that is how he gets you know his revenge on her. She would always have these amazingly accurate prophecies. 
and never be believed. And her predictions included the fall of Troy and that Paris would be the one to cause Troy's destruction. In fact, she when she found out, you know, when she realized that he was going to be the destruction, she tried to have the pregnancy terminated. She tried to have the baby killed. She tried to have the baby given away. Mm-hmm. And of course, nobody believed her. They, she Well, and here's the thing with the prophecy, doesn't even matter if she'd succeeded. Right. Somehow it still would have come back around. Exactly. But she, you know, so she over time, she would see these things and, and she would tell people and no one would believe her to the point everybody probably, there comes crazy Cassandra. Uh-huh. You know, she's the doom prophetess. Mm-hmm. Um, always doom and gloom and nobody believing her. Eventually though, all of these things came to pass. Ajax, the lesser, during the fall of Troy, pulled her out of actually the the temple of Athena, where she was serving, and raped her. But in retaliation, Athena got really pissed. And so when the Greeks were going back home, she talked to Poseidon, and together they created a storm that Mm -hmm. sunk half their ships. She was also saw the death of Agamemnon, which included her own death. Mm-hmm. Because once Agamemnon took over Troy, he became the king of that region. She became essentially his slave. Um, she was forced to marry him. Yeah, his and concubine, His basically. concubine. And so then when he was killed, she was automatically killed with him. Mm-hmm. It is said in some of these uh, stories that she actually, because she was pious and she was wronged by Ajax, that she was allowed to go to the Elysian Fields mm-hmm. eventually upon her death. Yeah, I don't know that she deserves that. I don't know that she deserves that. <laughs> she really did bring. She, she really did bring this on herself. She brought this on herself, and she really did break faith with Apollo. Yeah. And like I said, when I was reading this, I thought he honestly did the right thing. Of all of them, this might be the only story. This is the of only a god story that I've heard. Of a Greek god who approaches a mortal with an interest in sex and is like, I will marry yeah. you. Or, <laughs> or hey, you know, and, and not just taking from her, but offering her something and giving her a choice. Mm-hmm. She could have said no. Yeah. He gave her a choice. She could And have... here's the thing. When she revoked her permission, he didn't go through with it anyway. No, no. He was he just like, have. all right, fine. <laughs> he absolutely could have. But in his anger... His justifiable anger, he made sure that that, gir- that gift was also a curse. Elle says, I mean, her life didn't end when she broke faith. She could have made up for it with later acts. She could have, but as far as we know, she didn't really. Well, they're saying that what what it's saying in several of the different, you know, of the different tales is mm-hmm. that she did serve the gods throughout her life, even though she was doing these prophecies that nobody believed. She did, I guess, earn her way back into the Elysian Fields. Ran and Gray says Apollo probably could have convinced them to not let her but he let it go when she died. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. that's that's And right. you know, he may he maybe he finally got over it. Apollo, you know, yes, is a he, is a pretty good guy. He's a pretty good guy. You don't of want the available him. Greek gods. Of the, yes, he's he's actually quite generous. If you're gonna insult one, <laughs> I guess. But anyway, so that is He didn't strike her dead or turn her into a tree. Which so. he could have. <laughs> so many, so many get turned into, into an trees, animal or yeah. a tree or a fish mm-hmm. or you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Somehow trans or into a gorgon, uh-huh, you know, depending yeah. on the story of Medusa that you're reading. Rhiannon so. Gray says, considering he doesn't have a great track record with letting things go, she got off easy. 
Yeah, she really did. But anyway, that is the tragedy, the sad yes. story of Cassandra, and who honestly like, brought it upon herself. I, and well, and I think that's a very typical Greek tragic hero thing. Mm-hmm. In Greek tragedies, the hero's downfall is always brought about by their own fatal flaw. Mm-hmm. And so her flaw was that was that faithlessness. Yeah, yeah. It's always interesting to see her portrayed because mm-hmm. sometimes you see her portrayed as this crazy woman, you right. know, who's going around trying to get people to listen to her. And other times she's portrayed as just this very, very sad, mm-hmm. beautiful, but sad, sad woman mm-hmm. because nothing she says I, is frankly, believed. Frankly, I don't know why she bothers. Like, she knows. Yeah, she knows. She it's not like this is a, a, a mystery to her why no one believes her. She knows exactly why no one believes her. The only thing I can figure is that she's plagued by these visions to the point where she has to tell someone, even though no one's going to believe her, nothing's going to be done, and it's going to be happening anyway. It just makes me wonder if she's plagued to the point Ellen, where she has to speak of them. Ellen and Rhiannon have two different perspectives on this. Elle says, I mean, she betrayed Apollo. No one said she was smart. <laughs> True. Uh, and Rhiannon says, I think it's like a compulsion. Yeah, that's what I'm yeah. saying. I think she she can't help herself. And that may also be part of the curse. It's not an explicit part of the curse no. as far as I'm aware, but... Telling the truth, but no one believes her, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, yeah. that's she's, Cassandra. She's a sad and cautionary tale. She is a sad and cautionary tale. If you make promises to the gods, follow through on them. And, and just in general, really. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's it's about keeping your word. Yeah. If you really don't intend to go through with something, don't say you will. Mm-hmm. Just so you can get the just thing Just so you, you can want. get the reward. Yeah, yeah, just so you can get the reward and then back out later. All right. So I also have one more prophet to speak on. Okay. So I am going to talk about Nostradamus. Oh, Nostradamus. One of the big ones. Yes, he is one of the big ones. So Nostradamus's early life, we don't know a ton about. Mm-hmm. We know more about his heritage. His family was originally Jewish, but his father converted to Catholicism and mm-hmm. changed their name to Nostradame. Mm-hmm. in honor of Mary, who was, it was Mary's Saint Day on the day that he converted to Catholicism. Mm-hmm. And what is his full name? Because it's not Nostradamus. No, no. Nostradamus. <laughs> a lot of people think his name was yeah, just no. Nostradamus. Nostradamus is a Latinized version of his surname, mm-hmm. which he publishes under. Right. He's got a normal ass French name. <laughs> so one of the first times we have clear documentation of Nostradamus is when he is expelled. So he attended one university originally to get his baccalaureate, and then that university closed. So he attended a different university to try to get his doctorate, and he is shortly thereafter expelled because he is a practicing apothecarist, Mm -hmm. which is one of the forbidden manual trades in the statutes of this university. Mm -hmm. He was also frequently arguing with lettered doctors Mm -hmm. about treatments. Yeah. So I believe that was during a time period when herbalism was, the, was, was considered, century. yeah, during the 16th century, when anything having to do with herbology or herbalism or was considered natural magic and instead of what the people were. It wasn't necessarily considered magic, mm-hmm. um, like by the inquisitions, mm-hmm. but it was, it was considered inferior. Mm. So it was forbidden. You, do- you were not permitted to perform this trade if you worked at the university. So he was expelled. Yeah. Because he was a naughty, naughty boy. Naughty boy. Yes. So he continued to go around France and Europe, uh, practicing as an apothecarist and eventually he settled down and married his first wife and had two children and then when his first child was two years old the plague struck Uh. and he lost his wife and both of his children Mm. 
So he proceeded to go around Europe working alongside the doctors who were trying to figure out and solve the plague. Mm, Using his own skills. Using his own methods. And they all just worked together because the plague was such a dire situation that everyone's like, who who cares what your actual job is? We'll all work together on this Mm -hmm. one. Um, So he went around to various villages that were stricken by the plague and tried to offer his help. And he wrote a book about this at one point, detailing all the various methods he used, which were all the methods that were really available at the time (laughs) and reporting that... None of them were very effective. No. He did at one point invent what was called a rose pill, which he hoped would help protect from the plague. Mm. But it's not clear. If it, if it if, was if effective. That, yeah, well, it probably wasn't effective. Yeah. Nothing really was. No, um, badly. But it wasn't clear how like widespread that got. Because mm-hmm. um, this was before he was particularly well known. Yeah. But so he he did that for a while, for several years, just went around trying to solve plagues, presumably because he was traumatized by the plague that, that killed his first killed his wife and, and his two children. Probably had some uh, survivor's guilt. Mm-hmm. He eventually did settle down and marry a second wife with whom he had six children, three Ooh. sons and three daughters. And they were very happily married. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he did find love again. I think it's funny. I think people tend to think of Nostradamus as, as a like priest. a yeah. Yeah, it was like an aesthetic. An aesthetic who was locked up in a cell. Mm-hmm. And no, he was a pretty normal dude. Yeah, no, he had, I mean, he had a total of eight children in yeah. his life. And two wives. Um, yeah, so, I mean, he, yeah, he was, a, he was a normal man. But in 1550, he wrote the first of his almanacs. So an almanac is basically like a book of predictions for a year. Like the farmer's almanac is a very uh, well-known one that talks about like the upcoming weather and, and stuff like that. And, and it's incredibly accurate. And a lot of farmers rely on the farmer's mm-hmm. almanac to this day. It comes out every year. So he wrote an almanac in 1550, which became, to his surprise, extremely popular. A lot of people picked it up. A lot of people were really interested in it. So he decided, all right, well, I guess I'll, I'll start doing this every year. So for the rest of his life, basically, he wrote an almanac every year. Mm-hmm. A lot of his work in his almanac was based on astrology. What's interesting is that it wasn't very good astrology, according to the professional astrologers of the day. Mm-hmm. So Astrology was like an established practice in the 1600s, like like it was a job you did. Right. It actually wasn't illegal under the Inquisition. Well, it was considered a science. It was considered a science. Yeah, it was yeah. it was not considered magic um, at that time. So the professional astrologers of the day did not. Nostradamus's <laughs> work was, in their opinion, bad. shoddy at best. Bad. Um, Self-taught. Uh-huh. Don't know what the fuck he's saying. Basically, yeah. <laughs> um, so he was he's releasing these almanacs that are getting very, very popular every year. And uh, the professional astrologers in the field are just like, that hack. <laughs> that <laughs> hack, Nostradame. It, it's probably because he must have written in a written it in a way that was more colloquial, that people understood. He was, he was writing it in, in standard French. Yeah, yeah. In so people standard could read 16th it. 16th century French. Yeah. yeah, it was more for the masses. Exactly. Brandon says probably a lot easier for the layman to understand. It was. He also just wasn't using a lot of the methods that professional astrologers used. So right. he, like, he didn't create birth charts. Like, he would read a birth chart if you brought one to him, mm-hmm. but he didn't create birth charts for clients. Those things are fucking complicated. They are. Very complicated, very complicated to do. And if you don't have the professional astrology mm-hmm. training like it was just beyond his his particular skill set so he just didn't do them mm-hmm. and astrologers were like well how do you do horoscopes then and he was like either they bring me a birth chart or i just use comparative horoscopy <laughs> and they were like that doesn't work but so clearly it did for him uh, so he had just huge beef with mm-hmm. professional astrologers and in fact later 
in some of his later books, he would he would specifically call out <laughs> astrologers in his um, forewords. Honestly, it sounds like he really kind of had uh, an issue with any kind of authority. <laughs> yeah, really, like because he had that argument with doctors mm-hmm. when he was an apothecarist. He got into it with professional astrologers when he started doing div- divinatory Div- work, mm-hmm. like. So yeah, just if there was a professional element of the trade, he did not work with it. He was a rebel. (laughs) Yeah, basically. So he's writing these almanacs. They're getting very, very popular. Oh, I forgot to mention, through producing these almanacs, Mm -hmm. he comes to the attention of Catherine de' Medici. Oh, de' Medici. Uh Uh-huh. Who is a queen. Yes, she was. <laughs> Boy, was she a queen. She's the queen of France. Yes, she was. Um, a so, scary queen yeah, of France. And so Nostradamus <laughs> comes to her attention. and I'd forgotten that. Yeah, and she has him doing her horoscopes. She has him eventually instated as the physician in ordinary of her son, Prince Charles, mm-hmm. who was sickly. Mm-hmm. All of this without him ever having been credentialed, by the way. No, she was a mystic in her mm-hmm. own right. Yeah, like he'd, he never got a doctorate. Like he, yeah. it, he never never accomplished that. Sometimes his publishers would call him a doctor, but mm-hmm. he was not officially yeah. a doctor. So he's he's at the attention of Catherine de' Medici. And in 1555, he writes what ends up being released as a series of three books called Les Prophéties, mm-hmm. which are the prophecies. And it is about 300 plus quatrains, mm-hmm. written in French, obviously, 16th century French. Which mm-hmm. is a form of poetry. Uh-huh. Which vaguely predict future events. Mm-hmm. So these were released what were called centuries. And eventually, I think up to nine centuries were, were published, which were groups of 100 quatrains. The final century, for some reason is only 42 quatrains. Mm -hmm. So it seems as though 58 of the final quatrains were somehow lost in the publishing process and no longer exist. Mm. So we don't know what those were. But there are, regardless, hundreds of these Mm -hmm. quatrains which are supposed to be predictions of future events. However, by 1555, Nostradamus had started to become concerned that he would attract the attention of church authorities. Understandably. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, astrology wasn't a forbidden practice, but because he was not performing standard astrology mm. and professional astrologers disagreed with his methods, there they was could... a there was a possibility that someone could have claimed mm-hmm. he was practicing witchcraft. He was practicing like a degraded or corrupted form mm-hmm. of astrology, which included magic. Mm-hmm. That could have, that that is a claim that could have potentially been made. And he was very concerned about this. Understandably. So he wrote the quatrains in this really obscured way, which was intentionally vague and confusing. And often included like riddles. Kind of like to be a code. Uh-huh. Or, or like ciphers that you had to refer back to different quatrains or you had to refer back to whole different sources to understand. Part of the vagueness of the prophecies was intentional. It was an effort to obscure the work from church scrutiny. I don't blame him. Yeah. Weren't they burning witches back then? No, but the Inquisition was around. Gotcha. I mean, there were many Inquisitions, but France had an Inquisition at the time. Yeah. So because the prophecies in the prophecies are so vague because the quatrains are so vague. Mm -hmm. They have never been like successfully applied 
to future events in an irrefutable way. Mm -hmm. Oh, there's plenty of books out there refuting every single one of them. (laughs) Um, And there's plenty of books out there applying the same quatrain to like half a dozen different events. Mm -hmm. Because they were intentionally very, very vague and they they were written to be difficult to interpret and also they were written in 16th century French. Mm-hmm. Which, which is a little different. Is not the same as modern French. Yeah. And then translated into English. Yeah. So like. That's like how old English is not what English is What today. modern English what is. What modern yeah. English is. So like a lot of the modern English translations of Nostradamus's prophecies. Don't apply. Are extremely inaccurate. I don't know of a translation of Nostradamus's prophecies, which has been verified to be accurate to the original 16th century French. Mm-hmm. I do not know of one. Hopefully someone will come out with one someday. And even in modern French, mm-hmm. it's difficult to translate right. and interpret because it was 16th century French. Which is very different. Which is very different that he was writing in. And he was also writing in a very specific sort of cultural and publishing context. So we know that Nostradamus had a whole bunch of occult texts in his library. We know this because at one point, again, concerned about church authorities and the Inquisition becoming being attracted, being attracted to-, to him. He burned a whole bunch of them mm-hmm. and wrote in a letter to someone that he had burned a whole bunch of them. Mm-hmm. So, like, we know he had these books and disposed of them. Yeah. 16th century publishing didn't have a concept of plagiarism. There was not a concept of copyright. Attribution was a very loosely applied thing. Mm-hmm. It was very common in the day to sort of lift out whole sections of other books and put them in a new book without attributing them or sourcing them just because you just needed that information in your book. Right. And this was not a questioned practice. They just didn't have, It was there was no legal structure to... Nobody considered it an issue. Exactly. Nobody considered this a crime. Mm-hmm. And one of the methods we think Nostradamus used for developing his prophecies was bibliomancy, Mm -hmm. which is just opening a book to a random page. Some of the quatrains and the prophecies directly refer to, and sometimes directly lift language from, Mm -hmm. some of those occult sources he had. That are now gone. That are now gone, yeah. And none of it's attributed. Another interesting thing about Nostradamus is that he refused to call himself a prophet. In like four or five different places, in letters to different people, in some of the forewords to his books... He specifically said he was not a prophet. He didn't consider himself a prophet. These were revealed truths, but they were not magic fortune telling, Mm -hmm. which is interesting because he was specically telling the future. Mm -hmm. And he did say that like his- He was covering his ass. Yeah, exactly. But but, but so he specifically and repeatedly refused to be called a prophet. He claimed his predictions were based on a combination of the following things. An analysis of historical record. So Nostradamus was basically saying like, history happens in cycles. Mm -hmm. I'm looking back at previous cycles to see what will happen in future cycles. Mm-hmm. His understanding of astrology, which again, the, astro- the, pro- the professional astrologers of the day thought he was a hack. Mm-hmm. And he had a practice of meditation, which he describes as just clearing the mind and heart of all worries or concerns and waiting to see what, what comes, comes. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, into the clear mind. He probably did not practice trance or ecstatic states. Mm -hmm. He describes trance and ecstatic practices, but he describes them 
as things other kinds of fortune tellers perform Mm -hmm. and specifically does not say that he performs them. Mm -hmm. So he probably didn't have like an ecstatic practice. He probably didn't have a trance practice, but he did have some kind of homegrown meditation practice. He was a unique individual. Mm -hmm. And and then, like I said, he, we think he probably practiced some form of bibliomancy where he would meditate to clear his mind. And then he would just sort of open a book to a random passage, see where it was, and then use that as the sort of jumping off point for building a quatrain Mm -hmm. based on both that text and his knowledge of astrology and his knowledge of history. Mm -hmm. And he was building the quatrains sort of out of those component parts. One has to wonder too, if his readers at the time, because Mm -hmm. you know, it was the language that he was writing in was their language and their understanding and and things like that. Right. 16th century French was to them, modern French. Modern French. (laughs) And so since it was in these, you know, kind of obscure coded language, mm-hmm. one has to assume that the people at the time who were reading it probably understood what he was trying to get at, mm-hmm. at least to some point. Yeah, because he was because he was using references they would have been yeah. at least passingly familiar with. Exactly. So they might have, have seen whatever future he was predicting mm-hmm. at the time because it would make sense to them. They would understand the references. They might even know the books where he was lifting this information from. Some of them, yeah, probably. Some of his prophecies actually specifically refer to biblical prophecies Mm -hmm. because he was raised a Catholic. Yeah. So, like, there are a lot of influences on Nostradamus's prophecies. You can't take them as, like, whole cloth creations of Nostradamus. They're, like, these layered Mm -hmm. things, these layered predictions. Like I said, there have been no... Nostradamus is the subject of intense academic scrutiny Mm -hmm. because... Well, he was fascinating. Well, because they hate him. That, too. They just... They just hate him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they hate him. They hate the people who are interested in him. But the laymen love him. Uh-huh. But he's he's this hugely... Still to this day. Yeah, this hugely popular figure who appears in pop culture in like a thousand different iterations. Like, you can't get away from the concept of Nostradamus and Nostradamus's prophecies. Mm-hmm. Often those interpretations of Nostradamus are not accurate to the man. Mm-hmm. Like I said, we often sort of envision him as this like weird aesthetic when and he wasn't. He was a twice married man with many children. Living his life. Living a normal life. Uh huh. Working for a queen. <laughs> he does at one point eventually get briefly arrested by the Inquisition, but not for witchcraft because he published one of his almanacs without seeking prior approval from a bishop. <laughs> Which, given that... It could have been worse. That Nostradamus often ignored authorities anyway. Yeah, could definitely could have been worse. been worse. So he was he was arrested at one point and he was, he, he was held in prison for like a year. And he eventually... Uh, he died actually 11 years after the publication of the prophecies um, from complications from gout. Mm. Predicted his own death. Did tell his attendant he would be dead the next morning and so he was. Well, he probably <laughs> knew. Uh-huh. But yeah, so I mean, he just had... He didn't actually have that remarkable of a life. Yeah. No. He had a fairly normal life for a 16th century, moderately educated, literate person. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yet we're still talking about and him yet, today. And yet here we are in the year 2023 talking about Nostradamus mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and his prophecies. So like I said, as far as I know, there's not an English language translation of the prophecies, which is accurate to the original 16th century French. Yeah. Which unfortunately means like it didn't make sense to me to try to pull any quotes for you because... Mm-hmm. 
I know they're not going to be accurate. Right, right. Elle says gatekeeping is an ancient tradition, yeah. at least mostly kidding. Yeah, no, yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. The, the, a lot of authorities just didn't like Nostradamus, and a lot of authorities today just don't like Nostradamus. Mm-hmm. If an accurate edition in the English language of Nostradamus's prophecies ever comes out, I'll be fascinated to read it and try to trace back sort of what his influences were. Yeah, it would be interesting if somebody who understood ancient French mm-hmm. then translated it to ancient English and then used that as a construct <laughs> as the basis for, for uh, a modern, modern English tradi- for modern English translation. <laughs> <laughs> You might have to go through a couple of steps like that to get from 16th century French to modern day English. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And no translation is ever 100% accurate. No, and you no. wouldn't want a translation no. that was 100% accurate because it wouldn't be true to the spirit of the text. And it probably wouldn't make sense. No, that's just the nature of translation. All translation is art. It's never completely accurate. But we do know that the modern, the, the available modern English translations are bad, even as translations go. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, unfortunately... I had a a book once about Nostradamus with all the quatrains Mm -hmm. listed, and you read those and go, that makes no fucking sense. Makes no sense. Could apply to anything on Earth. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh Uh-huh. And, and some, like I said, some of that was intentional. Some of that's bad translation. Mm-hmm. And it's impossible to know which is which. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Nostradamus is one of those that frustrates me. And I'm waiting for future scholarship. That's right. But unfortunately, future scholarship is currently obsessed with just being like, Nostradamus was dumb. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it would be fascinating. It would be a fascinating study. Mm-hmm. Just speak from the from the ancient French language portion of you it. You would think. He himself did not consider himself a prophet. Mm-mm. So what was his, you know, what was he doing? Yeah. And what was he trying to communicate? Like I said, the thing is, Nostradamus's written works were extremely popular. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They wouldn't have kept buying them if they didn't make sense uh-huh. to someone. Yeah. So his audience, the people who kept buying them. Buying his almanacs. Buying buying his almanacs. Buying his prophecies. Maybe the academics didn't understand Mm -hmm. it. Maybe, you know. Or just didn't agree with it. Or didn't agree with it. But the people who were actually purchasing those things Mm -hmm. and making them popular, there was a reference in there from their lives, from Mm -hmm. their culture, from their religion, religion, from from the books that they knew already. There were references in there, I think, that they must have understood at the time that we simply don't have anymore. Just a context. Mm-hmm. Just a context I do issue. think it's a context thing, but fascinating anyway. Mm-hmm. All right, so that's what I got on Nostradamus. Very good, very good. Well, I think we've covered the popular ones. Mm-hmm. The biggins. The biggins. And, and Malampus, who the, was a biggin once. <laughs> he was a biggin once. So you can find us on Google if you Google the number three and the words pagans and a cat, or the number three and the letters P-A-A-C. We have a website at the number three pagansandacat.com. Gwen has a TikTok and a blog on Patheos Pagan. Mm-hmm. We have a Patreon and a Ko-Fi. I think that's all the things. Mm-hmm. We really appreciate your, you know, you following us. Mm-hmm. sharing, liking, all of the social media things that people do. Yes, we appreciate um, your support. We appreciate your support on, on Patreon. And we just appreciate that you're listening and uh, hanging out with us mm-hmm. one, at least once a week. Yes. So. Yes, a reminder that hunters can join us uh, live at Mondays at 8 p.m. EST on the Discord to listen to the pre-edited version mm-hmm. of the podcast That's before right. I take out all the dead air and the boring jokes. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> or the strange little noises from the cat uh-huh. or me clicking my cough drop. Uh-huh. Or... <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. You get to hear it live and live unedited. and unedited. I don't know why people like that, but people seem to. <laughs> <laughs> and also, Cats and Above, once a month, you get a uh, video mm-hmm. of a product or a book or something that we review. Yep. So, um, goodbye. <laughs>